Hi, this is Scott Silkey. I'm the worship arts director here at New Life Church. We're excited that you are joining us today. I pray that today's message will encourage and inspire you to be the hands and feet of Jesus to the world around you. I'm excited about what's going on. Now, we're going we're gonna to finish up a series today. Today, we're going to finish up the series on Thessalonians. Now, Thessalonians is something we've been doing for six weeks now. And today, we're going to land that plane with chapter 3 of 2 Thessalonians. So if you want to open up your Bibles to 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, we are going to, um, we're going to run through the whole thing today, and I'm going to spike out some things that we really need to focus on. This is, some, this is a exhortation that Paul gives most of his churches. When he writes a letter to a church, he most often talks a little bit. Now, this particular letter it's, it's pretty mild. In other, God, in other uh, epistles, it's a much more, guys, you need to get going on this. But like we said, the, the book of Thessalonians, both of them, are kind of a cheerleading set of books. He is so thrilled with these people and their walk with God in the midst of persecution that he has pretty much nothing but, but wonderful things to say about them. Yet he still takes a moment to encourage them in this way. Okay, so the title of today's message is Grace That Works, Grace That Works, and the big idea is this, we should live wisely and responsibly in the present while anticipating our future hope. Okay, we should live wisely and responsibly in the present while we anticipate our future hope, and that goes right back to what we were saying before, Jesus is the great I am. Not the great will I will be. Okay? It's not all about heaven. So many uh, Christians get stuck in this escape hatch mentality. That heaven is just, you know, I'll, 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 I'll buckle down here, keep all the commandments. All of them. Because, you know, I don't want to, but I'm going to do it because I'm just going to buckle down and then someday, someday I'll enjoy life on the other side. Or someday, it's always an escape, but listen, this life is supposed to be lived. This grace that we were given is not to be wasted in the present. He is the great I am right here, right now for you in your circumstances and in your world. Okay? So we're going to talk about that a little bit today. So let's just dive right in. Second Thessalonians chapter 3. Let's go. In addition, so Paul's been writing all these things, but in addition, as I'm closing this letter down, brothers and sisters, pray for us that the work, key word here, the work of the Lord may be spread rapidly and be honored, just as it was with you, and that we may be delivered from wicked and evil people. For not, not all have faith, but the Lord is faithful. He will strengthen you and guard you from evil, the evil one. Isn't that a nice statement? We have confidence in the Lord about you, that you are doing and will continue to do what we command. May the Lord direct your hearts to God's love and Christ's endurance. Here is the balance. There's, he says God is, uh, the Lord is faithful. The Lord directs your heart, but he also says that you would do the things that we commanded. Continue to do. Work it out. God's going to reveal it. God's going to do it in you, but you need to do your part. You need to live out the grace. 
that God has given you. Okay? And that's a tension that you find all through the New Testament. It's, it's, it's actually a tension that has caused many theological conflicts. All right? So let's talk about it. This passage evokes a balance of faith and works that over the centuries has become a topic of division. Let me ask some questions for you. I know you're thinking them, so might as well ask them anyway. Does faith require good works? Do good works have any part in salvation? Once I have received Jesus as my Savior, can I theoretically do whatever I want? If someone says that they are a Christian, but their lives indicate that Jesus is not their Lord, are they going to hell? Those are really good questions. Thank you for asking them. Because I, I, I have a bunch of information about those questions, interestingly enough. All right, let's get some theological concepts straight. Right here and right now. There is nothing you can do to earn your salvation. Period. There is nothing you can do to earn your salvation. Period. I'm going to say it one more time because threes, you typically lock it in. There is nothing you can do to earn your salvation. Period. All right? There's no amount of good works you can do. There's no amount of penance you can, you can do. There's no amount of, um, of rituals that you can go through. There's nothing that you can do to earn salvation. We were born into a sin-soaked world, and we are sinners condemned because of the fall of man. It is by grace alone, because of the sacrifice of Christ, that salvation is possible. Can anybody say amen? Come on now. Romans 5.18 says this. As, though one, as through one per, uh, trespass, there is condemnation for everyone, so also through the righteous act, there is justification leading to life for everyone. For just as though one man's disobedience, excuse me, just as through one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, so also through one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. So we got this Adam, and we got this second Adam, which is Jesus. The law came along to multiply the trespass. But when, where sin multiplied, grace multiplied even more. Yeah. You see the law thing that we got in the Old Testament? That was to show you just how miserable of a sinner you are. That's what, I'm not even joking. That's what it's for. It's, just, it's something that you can put your life up against and it can tell you, yeah, you stink. That's me. That's you. It's, it, it was, it was a, a measuring rod of righteousness, and we don't measure up, right? But it says, because the law showed you just how miserable you are, that is where grace steps in and abounds even more. It's greater, grace is greater than the myriad of evil in your life. Isn't that an amazing truth? So grace multiplied even more so that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace will reign through righteousness, resulting in eternal life through Jesus Christ, our 
Lord, somebody say amen. All right, the law, the standard of right and wrong was given to reveal to us our complete depravity. God's grace through Jesus is able to cover it all, no matter how many laws we have broken. Verse 21, where sin multiplied, grace multiplied even more. See, but grace doesn't stop here. Grace is not, the Bible doesn't teach that grace is just there so that you get an escape hatch. Grace is bigger than that. When we receive the grace of God into our lives, the Holy Spirit indwells us and gives us the power to resist our sinful nature. Romans 5, verse 12 says this, Therefore do not let sin reign in your mortal body, so that you obey its desires. Verse 13, But as those who are alive from the dead, offer yourselves to God and all the parts of yourselves to God as weapons for righteousness. I love that. For sin will not rule over you. Can we say, I mean, come on, sin will not rule over you. Can you, that's a mantra, sin will not rule over me. I'm not going to let it happen. Because I have grace. I have, the, I have the Holy Spirit living inside me. For sin will not rule over you because you are not under the law, but under grace. That's powerful, folks. That's, grace is more powerful. Yeah, grace is more powerful than just getting you out of hell. Grace is the power to live the life that you always were intended to live. Grace gives us the power to be free from the sin of our past, present, and future. We should never use the grace of God as a license to sin. It's actually a tool for the exact opposite. Romans 6, 1 says this, Why should we say that? What should we say then? Should we continue to sin so that grace may multiply? Absolutely not. How can we do, how can we, uh, who died to sin, still live in it? It's foreign to us. It's, it's, it's gone. It's not part of our existence right now. We are under grace. So, yes, we are going to fail, but that, that failure shouldn't identify us. We shouldn't be identified by that sin. We should be identified by grace and the power to overcome that sin. Okay? Salvation changes the saved. Let me just say that again, because that's a kind of a strange Salvation changes the saved. When you come under the blood of Jesus Christ and the grace of God is released into your life, the Holy Spirit is poured out. It changes you. If you're saying this, I, got, I came to an altar and I got saved. I said some magical words and I now can do whatever I want. I have a strong, like I'll leave that up to God, but I have a strong inclination that you didn't quite get it. That you, I mean, not get it, but like you, didn't, you didn't understand it. Because nobody who lives in, under the grace wants to live in a sinful way. They may sin. Here's the difference. They may sin. They may fall into that from time to time. That's true. Where none of us are going to be perfect. But their heart is inclined toward Christ and his ways, not the other way. So yes, we might fall into sin from time to time. And it's our job as brothers and sisters of Christ to help each other be pulled out of that. But the inclination of our heart is to not want to sin. See? Salvation changes the saved. All right, I got to calm down. 
talking like the, remember the Micro Machine Man? Anybody remember that guy? Younger guys, were like, the younger kids are like, no, you're old. There was this guy who used to sell Micro Machine, like little tiny cars, Micro Machines, and the commercials with him speed talking. Yeah, that sounds like me today. All right, calm down, Sangster. Salvation changes the saved. We start on a journey of sanctification. We are sanctified by Christ. Our sins are blotted out in the sight of God so that we are no longer under his righteous condemnation. Right? That's what, that's what, that's what coming under the blood of Christ is. Furthermore, we are progressively sanctified into the image of his son, adopting his purposes, priorities, and passions. Are your purposes, priorities, and passions lining up with this? Now, he's like, Pastor, I don't know. That's a lot of, that's a big book. Take anything out of it and start putting it towards you. I mean, yes, I mean, it could be just like, man, I want to try to clean up my language a little bit. I, I noticed that when I get uh, angry, my tongue just loses control. And I want, I, want to, I want to ask God to help sanctify my lips, sanctify my tongue, so I can be more like, I'm not talking about like being a monk in a monastery. I'm talking about just the changes, little changes in your life, the sanctification process that brings you more in line with the purposes, priorities, and passions of Christ. That's what James the brother of Jesus talks about in his letter to the early church. And we just studied the book of James, and what a great study that was. I'll read a little part of that to you. James chapter 2. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You, you believe that God is one? Great! Even the demons believe that. And they shudder. Like, you're taking... You're taking some really mighty liberties with this. Even the demons aren't as flagrant with their thoughts about doing the will of God as you are. That's what he's saying to say to them. Okay? Senseless person, ouch. Are you willing to learn that faith without works is useless? Let me, let me, let me try to break that down for you for a second. I actually don't think that James is trying to, in that particular section, is trying to say to them that faith is not, they're not, they're not saved. But the grace that God has given us, if they're using it as an ability to just live their life, they're wasting the grace of God. It's useless to anybody else. It's useless. It's just, he's like, you can go ahead and have faith and be, live like the devil. But guess what? I'm going to have faith and I'm going to work it out. So that my faith is useful, not useless. Does that make sense? 26, for just as the body without spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead. Don't waste the amazing grace that God sanctified us dearly for, sacrificed dearly for. Get to work. Get to work. Use the grace. Don't waste the grace. All right, back to our main text, 2 uh, Thessalonians chapter 3, where Paul continues his conversation on works, this time emphasizing the practical rather than the spiritual. Here we go. Verse 6. Now, 
We command you, brothers and sisters, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, to keep away from every brother or sister who is idle and does not live according to the traditions received from us. We've seen that word used before in this book, the traditions. What does that mean? It means the, the gospel that Paul presented to them, the way in which we follow Christ. Those are the traditions that he's talking about. Okay? Verse 7, for you yourselves uh, know how you should imitate us. Wouldn't that be cool? Wouldn't it be? Oh, wouldn't it be? That's, that's my prayer. If, if somebody's like, I don't know how to follow Christ. I just don't know how to do it. Wouldn't it be great if we could say, hey, just, just do what I do. Follow me. I think if you follow me, you're going to do pretty good. Wouldn't that be a great testament? That's what Paul's saying. He's saying, do you want to know how to live? I taught you about the traditions, and I'm living it out. So mimic what I'm doing as I follow Christ. Follow me as I follow Christ. And then, Wouldn't that be a great testimony? That you should imitate us. We were not idle among you. We did not eat anyone's food free of charge. Instead, we labored and toiled working night and day so that we could not be a burden to you. <clears throat> it is not that we didn't have the right to support, uh, uh, to support from you guys. It's like, not that we didn't have the right to do that, but we did not to make ourselves an example to you so that you would imitate us. In fact, when we were with you, this is what we commanded you. If anyone isn't willing to work, he should not eat. For we hear that there are some among you who are idle. They are not busy, but busy bodies. Interesting. What happens is we, sit, we as humans, we can't stand still. We can't not do things. So instead of being, doing productive things, if we're not working productively, we're probably doing something destructive. Because we're, we're, we're in perpetual motion. If we're not doing something good for the kingdom, we're probably doing something to undermine it. And gossip, busybody, being a busybody, you know, talking. We've got to be careful. Verse 12. Now we command and exhort such people by the Lord Jesus Christ to work quietly and provide for themselves. But as for you, brothers and sisters, do not grow weary in doing good. So what is Paul, why is Paul doing this? Why is he, what is he saying? What is he hearing from this church? Well, as we talked about in the last couple weeks, <clears throat> there was a uh, misunderstanding amongst the church. And the misunderstanding was that, that the return of Christ was going to happen like tomorrow. Like, don't bother doing anything. Just wait for the kingdom of God. <clears throat> and Paul says, nah, that's not what I really meant. Or that's... He's either said, he was either, they were either confused by Paul's letter or by a letter that was written to them in the name of Paul. I said, that's not, that's not what I want you to do. I want you to be looking for the coming, because it could happen tomorrow. It could happen. But in the meantime, you need to be about the, the traditions in which we taught you. That's what he was saying. So he's going back to that. Some members of the congregation in Thessalonica had inferred that since the coming of Lord Jesus was imminent, there was no point in continuing to work. Right? Paul instructs the Thessalonians to live at the expense, to not live at the expense of others, to, go, uh, to get back to work. And Paul writes to Timothy 
In another letter, he says this, 1 Timothy 5 says, If anyone doesn't provide for his own family, especially for his own household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Those are pretty harsh words. He's pretty good to the Thessalonians in, in the comparison, right? The Thessalonians were apparently confused. They were confusing the suddenness of the Lord's coming with the immediacy. This is a contemporary issue. Now, dealing with it as a pastor, this particular concept, this has become an issue for denominations. Um, and the, and the latter part of the last century, there's a lot of pastors who are now coming into retirement age. And ministers and missionaries that are coming into retirement age right, right now. And they got nothing. And why? They never thought they'd be around for retirement. They literally gave everything that they had, every single financial thing, every moment, to the ministry, thinking that Christ was coming back within their lifetime. I mean, this was something that was really, really believed in a lot of the pastors of the last. So what's happening now is that pastors are, are um, getting to retirement age, and they're not retiring. And the churches are like, you really need to retire. (laughs) You're like 110 years old. (laughs) It's time. It's time, brother. We love you, but it's time. And they're like, they're they're not prepared for it. They don't have the financial ability to do that. So denominations and churches, denominations are trying to figure out how to take care of these aging pastors. So, there's, there's a balance to it. The, the Thessalonians were like, I'm not doing anything. Christ is coming back. Woohoo! Right? Whereas on the other side of the, the, the coin, it's like, Christ is coming back. I'm going to do ev- I'm going to put everything into that. And then when it, when it didn't happen, they're like, oh, no. <laughs> right? So what is, what, is, uh, what is Paul trying to explain to them? you got to take care. You just can't, you can't live your life for this moment. You've got to live your life in a responsible way. And I think, I mean, the Financial Peace University uh, class is going to happen in February. That is a wonderful class for people who want to live responsibly till the Lord comes back. Right? It's a way of living in such a way where you not only are taking care of your family, and yourself for the future, but it's also a way in which you can uh, accumulate some kind of resource so that you can give to the ministry of Christ. That's our job, to get to work, to live as those who have a job to do. It's important for us to live in a necessary tension between the, um, the eminence of Christ's return and the suddenness of Christ's return. We are citizens of heaven and yet we live on earth. We are ready for the anticipated, in anticipating Christ's return, yet we also work, eat, sleep, play, and have families. That's what we're supposed to do. That's what our mandate was in the garden. Right? John 9, 4 says, We must do the work of him who sent me while it's still day. Night is coming when no one can work. 2 Peter 1, 3 says, 
His divine power has given us everything required for life and godliness through the knowledge of him who calls us by his own glory and goodness. By these he has given us very great and precious promises so that through them you might share in the divine nature, escaping the corruption that is in the world because of evil desire. For this very reason, make every effort to uh, supplement your faith with goodness. He says, do something. Use the grace. Don't waste the grace. Add to it. Increase it. Be useful. Work. He said, add. Supplement your faith with goodness, with goodness, knowledge, with knowledge, self-control, with self-control, endurance, endurance with godliness, godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if you possess these qualities in in increasing measure, ready? That's increased over time. It gets bigger and bigger. They will keep you from being useless or unfruitful in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. The person who lacks these things is blind and short-sighted and has forgotten the cleansing from his past sins. Therefore, brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling and election. Because if you do these things, you will never stumble. It says, work, do something. Don't just sit around. You're like, Pastor, I do stuff all the time. I'm very busy. Yes, we all are very busy. I get that. So here's the trick. We have to look at our lives and start to make priorities based on the nature of Christ. Yes, we can work, you know, 50 hours a week. And we can make money. But is that okay for your family? Well, they like money, Pastor. I know they like money. But they need you. They need your presence. They need your involvement in their lives, not just your financial, financial uh, gains. They need you. That's prioritizing the priorities of Christ. Well, Pastor, Sunday mornings, man, that's the only, that's the only day I get to sleep in. Okay. You've just made a priority statement right there. Now, I know you need sleep. Go to bed earlier. Take a nap. Have another cup of coffee. Liquid nap. This is water, by the way. But you, we have to, we have to, because there's only so much time in a day. So we can very, and I think the enemy uses that to his advantage. He gets us to prioritize our time in ways that the world tells us we should, rather than aligning our priorities and purposes with what God says we could. Listen, I got no more time than you do. You got no more time than me. It's all about how we use the time that we are given. And that's what sanctification will do. It'll start to rearrange and reprioritize. Okay? Ephesians chapter 5, verse, a lot of verses today. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15, 15 says this. So be careful to live your life wisely, not foolishly. That's what we're just talking about. Take advantage of every opportunity because these are evil times. Because of this, don't be foolish, but understand the Lord's 
will. I want to do that. I'm not great. Listen, I'm not great at that. I probably spend too much time scrolling on Instagram and Facebook and YouTube. I, I, I don't have TikTok because I'm too old for that. <laughs> My sister's like, Dave, you got to check out this TikTok video. And she sent me a link. I'm like, I can't look at it. Sorry, I don't have it. She's like, oh, you're old. Yep, a little too old for that. But I probably do too much of that too. We could all reprioritize. Paul then ends his address. And this is how I want to end today's message, okay? Because I don't want this to be like, you need to get doing, you need to get going. Come on, what's your problem? Paul doesn't do that. That's not what Paul's saying to the Thessalonians. I think you are an amazing group of people. I am not trying to come down to you, and neither is Paul's or the Thessalonians. But he's trying to encourage us to not waste the grace that God has given us and to point that grace towards a productive path, doing something, sanctification that, that works out our faith in fear and trembling, that, that, that changes the world around us, that prioritizes our lives the way God intended us to live. So Paul ends his address with a benediction. And this is the very end of the book of 2 Thessalonians. And I'd like to pray it over you today. Okay? And this is what it says. 2 Thessalonians 3, 16 and 18. May the Lord of peace himself give you peace always in every way. Everybody, just take a deep breath. It's okay. You can do this. You can do this. God is with you. May the Lord of peace himself give you peace always in every way. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Lord, I thank you for my brothers and sisters who are here today, God. God, I hope we understand the amazing grace that has been poured out on us. And Lord, I'm so thankful that my eternal destination in heaven is not reliant on whether I'm a really good person or not. But it's on the really good person of Jesus Christ and his sacrifice on my behalf. Otherwise, I would be doomed to an eternity in hell. So Lord, I thank you for that saving grace. Lord, I also thank you for the grace that inhabits the body that I live in right now and allows me to have the Holy Spirit empower me to live a life that is more and more like the life that Jesus intends for me. I know I cannot be perfect, but your grace is powerful. Help me not to waste your grace. God, I want to be fruitful for you. God, I want to use the time wisely, not foolishly. I want my plans, my priorities to reflect the plans, the priorities, and the purposes of Jesus Christ. Help me, Lord. An ever-increasing number, help me to add to my faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, to knowledge temperance, temperance patience, to patience godliness, to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness love. Thank you 
that it is by your power that we can do these things, not of our own. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. If you want to find out more about New Life Church, you can connect with us at discovernewlife.org. We hope to see you soon.